Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is Friday, July 2nd, 2021, and this is episode 24B. It is our first episode for July. We are officially halfway through the year, and if I'm not mistaken, this is also my 50th podcast episode. So yay to all of those things. I am getting started a little bit later in the day than I normally would for recording my podcast, so if this gets up a little later than usual, I do apologize if anyone has to wait on that. But we have a really great episode planned for this lovely summer uh, Friday. So we're going to start things off as we normally do on Fridays. Uh, We're going to start off with comic book picks this week. I know uh, we'll get into Loki after that, but we are going to go ahead and get the comic books out of the way first. Uh, There's quite quite a lot of good stuff that we had coming out this week. It was kind of a smaller week, but uh, things really hit with a bang. So a lot of good stuff to talk about. And then we will go into Loki episode four. This, I had a lot more um, positive feelings about this episode than the last one. So that's really good. We'll go over all of that stuff. Um, We will not be talking about Superman and Lois because it's on hiatus again until mid-July. And then we will discuss very briefly the initial Black Widow reaction since the premiere of Black Widow did finally happen over a year after it was initially supposed to happen. Uh, And we are getting that movie next week. So we will talk about the initial reactions of that before going into The Trial of Magneto, which is the next, I suppose you could say, big deal event for the X-Men. Um, It's kind of going to be crossing through the next couple of months. We'll talk about what that is all about. And finally, we will wrap up today's B episode with some discussion of, if you haven't seen it, the Spider-Man, or if you have, the Spider-Man 3 leaks. Um, There were some leaks (laughs) that have been happening involving uh, merchandising and marketing and costuming and things like that that I really don't think Marvel meant to put out. Uh, or wanted to get out at all, but it's happened, so we will talk about what those leaks have revealed to us when we get to the end of the episode there. So, a lot of really good stuff to talk about today. I'm very excited for all of these things. It's going to be a really, really big week for uh, Geekdom, I suppose, because we're going to have, next week we'll have, uh, let's see, Empire Day, Revenge of the Fifth on Monday, then you have Loki on Wednesday, then you have Black Widow on Friday, and I'm sure there's something else in there that I'm forgetting. So it's a really good week. It's going to be the next coming week is going to be really awesome for geek media. So stay tuned and we will discuss all of it. However, before we get going with the comic book picks, I do want to plug myself for a little bit um, because this is my podcast. And as I said, this is my 50th episode and that is, I think, a little bit exciting. Uh, you can find me on social media if you are all interested. My Instagram is Anna with the comics. I do only post comic book things and I don't post very often. Um, so there's not going to be just a plethora of things to sift through as soon as you follow me, if you do. Uh, so don't worry about that. Um, and then I have a Twitter, which is Savage She Geek, much less used even than any of my other socials. Um, and then my website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. You won't get anywhere without the .weebly in there, because I don't pay for it. (laughs) Um, but on there I have, um, a year and a half worth of... Uh, written out reviews and discussions and pull lists and pick lists and all kinds of things like that, um, which was kind of transitioned into this podcast. And so I put it in my podcast notes, things that I write throughout the week to prepare myself for each uh, bi-weekly 
episode, or is it semi-weekly? Semi-weekly episode. Um, and that is, I put on my website. I think I miss Mondays, but I'm going to be putting up Monday and today's, uh, just after I finish recording this episode. And that is for anyone who would rather kind of read more or less what is going to be going on in the podcast, or for anyone who is hearing impaired, they can still keep along. Uh, keep up with what is going on with all of these things and follow along with the podcast. Also on my website is reading orders for some of my favorite characters, most specifically Madeline Pryor and Clea, who is a Doctor Strange, infamously Doctor Strange character. Um, both of those are completed. I have read all of their histories at least twice, if not, I think Madeline, I've read them three times and I'm on my third time for Clea. Um, all of those are up there. So if you're interested in those characters, both of them are also going to be coming into relevancy soon because for Clea, she will be more than likely showing up in Multiverse of Madness, Doctor Strange 2. And, uh, Madeline Pryor is more than likely going to be showing up in the Fall Inferno event with the X-Men. So, two women characters who are very, I believe, Im they have important histories and they have complex histories. Um, and it's, I think it's, will do you only good to find out more about them and those complicated histories before you come across those. So if you're at all interested in those characters, you can check that out as well. One thing that's kind of new that I'm going to be doing, I know last week I had mentioned, uh, my Etsy store that I'm working on setting up. I am still working on that. It's, a bit of a work in progress because there's a lot of stuff that I have to kind of perfect before I list anything. But more immediately, hopefully by the end of this weekend, hopefully by, gosh, end of tomorrow if I can, I'm going to be setting up a podcast Patreon. Now, I don't have anything really to trade uh, for anything, but in the... Um, in the vein of how Word Balloon, if you follow his podcast, which I really greatly enjoy, how he kind of does it is, you know, if you feel like the podcast is worth a dollar a month, worth the cost of a comic a month, something like that, um, whatever you think it's worth to the effort that I put into it, to the, your enjoyment of what you get out of it, um, it's entirely self it's all your choice. There's no pressure. You don't have to do it. I don't know how many people listen to this podcast. So if I get one person on Patreon, I will feel like that is probably an accurate look at my viewer, my viewer count. So I, I'm not going in here doing, starting this, expecting to be making a ton of money off of it, but do, you know, any time that I don't have to spend making money in other ways as time that I get to spend making this podcast better. And that's kind of the whole idea behind why I'm going to be setting that Patreon up. Um, so you can go ahead and look for that in the next coming days or weeks or whatever your timeline you want to do is. If you'd like to skip over the comic book pick list for the week and go straight into Loki episode four discussion as well as whatever comes after that, you're going to want to jump to about 55 minutes into the podcast. I'll be wrapping up the pull list or pick list, excuse me, will be Black Widow and moving on to Loki episode four right about that time. So now let's go ahead and get into the weekly comic book picks. The comic book picks are things that I enjoyed or found relevant from the comic book reads that came out this week. These were the releases for the, I believe it was the 30th for most things for DC Comics that came out on the 29th of June. Lots of good stuff this week. Things that I'll be going over, which is not, I'm not doing this in order of preference. Uh, this week we're doing it in order of 
the order that I read them in. I felt like that might be kind of a... It doesn't matter. We're going to start doing them in that order. Uh, the order is not relevant. But here is what we will be going over. X-Factor number 10, Beta Ray Bill number 4, Cable number 11. I'm just realizing that the first chunk of these are all Marvel, and that makes me look lame. Sorry. Uh, Eternals number 5, Made in Korea number 2, Monstrous number 35, Parasomnia number 1, We Only Find Them When They're Dead number 7, Barbaric number 1, and Black Widow number 8. And it doesn't look like there's any DC on that, is there? Shoot, DC, where have you been? <laughs> uh, anyway, I think I think Wonder Girl comes out next week, so we'll have some DC stuff to talk about. <laughs> okay, starting off with X Factor number ten. This, um, I feel like it's a little bit appropriate to start off here, not because only because it was the first thing that I read this week, but also because it was probably definitely, you know, kind of looking through things, the biggest deal comic that happened. Um, we had some reveals in other comics, but this one was kind of the biggest deal. Now, there's a few things to note. I had this reveal that happens in, at the end of X-Factor number 10. Remember, this is the last issue of X-Factor by Leah Williams. They gave her some excellent artists to work with. It was David Baldion, Lucas Wernick, and... Um, if you give me a moment, I will find the third artist. I should have had this. They gave her, they gave her just an excellent lineup to work for this last issue. And I could have kind of had these concerns that I believe I spoke about on my last podcast episode. Um, David Messina, that's the third artist. It's David Balvione, David Messina, and Lucas Wernick. There we go. Um, I had some concerns that the series was ending because Polaris was taken to the X-Men. While there, um, and also it's, it's important to note that there is a letter from the creators from David Baldion and from Leah Williams at the back of this X-Factor issue. I have not read that because I don't feel like crying. I get really emotional about these. This is our final issue send off letters because it's usually very heartfelt and you can very much, um, as a fan, you know, of these characters. Similarly, you can, you can very much feel that passion and it's, 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 it's equally, you know, sometimes it's heartbreaking if it was a split that it wasn't meant to happen. And sometimes it's them wrapping up a great series. But I have not read that letter because like, like I said, I'm not really feeling like crying. <laughs> so I always, I always cry with these things. Um, but the concern was to get back on track. The concern was that due to Leah Williams's reaction to Polaris being put on the X-Men, that's why they canceled this series. However, that is not hap that's not true. I, I kind of figured that out. I, well, I haven't read that um, you know letter in the back of the issue. Leah Williams is moving on to do Trial of Magneto. I was kind of worried. She's one of the only X writers who really is working on only one thing for the X Men, and it just got canceled with this last issue being the final issue of X Factor. So um, I I'm glad to see that she's sticking around. And it, and this being the kickoff more or less to Trial of Magneto is very much. Uh, appropriate that she kind of goes from this X Factor into Trial of Magneto, um, which we will get into later on in the episode. Now, the big reveal that was in this issue, um, most people, I think, got spoiled, at least on the West Coast. Um, <laughs> Marvel, Marvel did us dirty. <laughs> I was one of the people who had it spoiled for me. Um, Spoilers, obviously, if you have not read this issue and you haven't somehow had it spoiled, first of all, where do you live under what rock? And because Marvel literally was on Twitter, on Instagram, they had artists tweeting about this stuff and posting about this stuff. I think it was one o'clock in the afternoon that I saw the spoiler. Um, 
Comic stores on the West Coast have been open for probably three hours at that point, max. Come on, guys, give us a chance to read the issue before you start posting spoilers all over social media. And the spoiler that we all saw, the end of X Factor 10, it, it wraps up with uh, iBoy and, uh, sadly enough, Speed, who is Wanda's son, technically, uh, finding Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch's apparently dead body on Krakoa. There's a few things that are interesting about this. There's several things that are interesting about this. Um, Wanda is not welcome on Krakoa. Wanda was not, as far as we know, invited to the Hellfire Gala. Um, the Avengers were there. Some other, you know, folks were there. Um, so why was Wanda there? You know, Magneto is... I don't, where did they leave off with that? I genuinely can't keep up with the Wanda and Pietro stuff. I, they did that thing when they were trying to pull out the X-Men from the comics and they made them into like, um, what was it? It was, it was the guy who did Spider-Woman too. Um, whatever his name was, they, they just, they switched over. Yeah. you you were born human and then he just like changed you and you're not mutants. But I think recently, or like more recently, they had switched that back. No, really, you are mutants. You are still Magneto's kids. I'm not sure where we honestly left off with that. Um, but in any case, Scarlet Witch has many times in Hickman's X-Men world so far been referred to as the Pretender, as a woman who is much hated by all mutant kind because of what she did, uh, the decimation, more than decimation, the no more mutants, the basically wiping out of the entire mutant race minus, what was it, like a hundred people? It was like Wolverine and a few others who, who didn't get wiped out by that. Um, so they don't like her. She has, and that was, of course, she tried to fix that with the Empire X-Men tie-in, which was excellent. It was four issues, and I still recommend that, especially if you're a fan of Magneto, sorry, Magic, um, which I am. So you see this is complicated history between Wanda and the X-Men. They don't really like her. She's trying to make things better. She wasn't invited to this party, and she winds up dead at this party. I'm just curious. It's going to be August when Trial of Magneto starts, so we have over a month because it's just July 2nd. And I'm very curious, like, what's going to happen between now and then? Because this is kind of a big thing to leave this off on. Um, maybe they'll start discussing discussing it before those actual Trial of Magneto's issues start? I don't know, but I'm, I'm very interested in how this is all going to go. And, of course, you have to remember that comic book deaths are... It is very few and far between, if at all, really, that a comic book death sticks. Um... There was a saying, it was, uh, there was the rule of comics, you can't bring back, it was, who was it, um, Gwen Stacy, uh, Red Hood, who was, uh, what's his name, well, he's Red Hood now, uh, Robin, fucking, whatever his name is, not Tim Drake, the other one, I, I, blanking, but it doesn't matter, and then the, uh, whoever the third one is, you don't bring back those three dead characters, all three of them have been brought back by now, in some way, but, um, point of that being, if you're a Scarlet Witch fan, do not be alarmed. She is not going to remain dead. Yes, there is the whole mutant, you know, rebirth thing that they have going on, and I'm not really sure where she lands with the ability to do that at this point in her history. But um, it, it'll be fine. She'll be back at some point. Don't worry about it. Uh, other things that happened in this issue of X Factor that were really awesome, iBoy totally got his moment. That's something that I've 
I very much enjoyed from Leah Williams' X Factor is she knows her characters very, very well, and she writes them as a group interacting with each other very, very well. Um, so you had in this, you had Prodigy kind of getting his um, really, really terrifying, honestly, story of how he was murdered some time ago, about a year ago, um, by this old white dude who literally got off by killing um, what it was. It was young, queer black men who is, pro- is prodigy, right? So um, he finally tracks this guy down and iBoy shows up and helps him beat the shit out of him, basically. Um, and I think I think they leave him for the human authorities to deal with, which honestly, in my opinion, is not the right way of doing things because we know the justice system is flawed. Um but it was kind of it was kind of a cool moment. It's it's a bit frighteningly real. Um, that that scene about him, obviously he wouldn't in real life he wouldn't have been able to talk to his murderer. But um, it was really well done. I really like how it was how how it was done. And then Iboy showing up at the same time and kind of being like, "Yeah, man, I'm not mad at you for doing this. You're not gonna kill him. We're just gonna you know beat him within an inch of his life because he deserves it." And you get to see Iboy. Uh, basically whip out some cool new powers. I'm a big fan of his character because of this series. Um, and that's that's 100% thanks to Leah Williams' ability to write him really, really well. Um, and honestly, all the artists, kudos to all of them for also being able to draw him very, very well with his ridiculous look. Um, other things happened in the issue. We have, you know, Dakin and... Which actually, they're, something my husband pointed out was... Um, Dakin, his his real name is Akihiro, right? They're calling him Akihiro a lot more often than Dakin now, which he pointed out could be as more like most likely because Dakin was kind of his villain name. We all know that he doesn't necessarily have a happy history. It, no son or child of Wolverine could possibly have a happy history. Just kind of, it's in your DNA to have a fucked over life. Um... But they're calling him Akihiro a lot more, and that does seem... he. I think he's correct, and that's kind of aligning him to the good side of the, the hero side a lot more than his kind of twisted villain past. So that's really nice. He and, um, he and Aurora are still together. Um, what I think I really liked about this issue as well was there was some really cool... At this point, we've gone over a number of Hellfire Gala issues, right? Um, with all of the X-Books, I think, have gone through their Hellfire Gala tie-in, at least one of them by now. So this issue, uh, in a really cool way, was able to kind of reference other things that we've already seen happening in these issues that tie into the Hellfire Gala. Um, we were able to see it from, like, different perspectives and stuff, and it all... They, they did the whole editorial thing where they referenced which issue this came from and that came from. So if you've read them, it's, it was a really cool, like, oh yeah, I remember that happening, and we saw it from this guy's point of view, and now we're seeing it from this guy's point of view. That's I, I liked that. I really enjoyed it. And I have to give kudos probably to the artists who did that, because that, I'm sure, was no easy feat, um, kind of lining up all of the X-Men stuff that's been happening in so many different issues and so many different series to fit they definitely had a crazy meeting. You know the X team had a crazy meeting getting the Hellfire Gala set up because they probably all had to have planned how the Hellfire Gala was going to go as a group as opposed to each, you know, individual creative team plans how their characters are going to go through it. No, all this stuff has to interconnect and has to has to check out and has to be the same thing that's happening at the same time. So they had to plan the event and then split out the stories. I don't know if anything I'm making saying makes sense, but but I'm just severely impressed with the X-Team. Um, sad to see X-Factor 
finished here, but Leah Williams, like I said, is going on to trial Magneto, which we'll talk about later, and I'm very, very excited to see her continue forward as a wonderful ex-creator. Fader A. Bill was on the fourth of fifth issues this week. Um, where we kind of left off with a third issue, and this is, of course, this is of course entirely by Daniel Warren Johnson. Uh, he writes and he draws it, and he is fantastic. If you're not familiar with his work, I definitely recommend checking out Wonder Woman Dead Earth. It's three magazine format-sized issues from DC Black Label, obviously non-canon, and one of the most satisfying Wonder Woman stories I have ever read in my entire life. No exaggeration. Um, so, Beta Ray Bill number four, that the last, in the last issue, we kind of, um, they had, they had ended up getting through Musulfheim? 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 Whatever that realm is, <laughs> whatever, whichever one it is, um, that I can't pronounce. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to get the sword from Surtur. So, cool stuff in this issue. We get a lot of flashbacks to, uh, was it Cor- Corbin? He's a Corbinite, so they're from Corbin. Is that right? I feel like I'm probably saying it wrong. Um, But he's a Corbinite, and he was like the chosen savior of his people. Um, And so we see the flashbacks, and Surtur destroyed his world. We get to see Surtur showing up to destroy his world and how he failed them, and uh, he carries all of this on him. And I guess um, there was some very interesting panels of backstory of him in... Um, of Beta Ray Bill being medically operated on, um, which I'm not familiar with that happening in his history. My the way that what I'm familiar with is that's just his form when he picks up the hammer. Um, but what what it kind of is alluding to here, I think, um, is that that is what they had to do to save his life after this attack by Surtur. Not sure if that's entirely correct. Um, if you understood that in a different way, I am genuinely curious. Um, and I'm sure in the last issue we'll kind of get that resolved. But I'm very curious if that is how other people took this whole scene. Um, and of course, he finally makes it to uh, the sword, whatever the sword's name is. And there is Surtur. And Surtur is actually excited to have somebody to fight for his sword because... I imagine just kind of sitting here in this place uh, all the time waiting for someone to come challenge you is really boring. Uh, and here's a challenger, and it's Beta Ray Bill. And he's heard of Beta Ray Bill. He destroyed his planet. He's definitely heard of that guy. So Surtur is excited, um, and I am too. <laughs> I really love how Daniel Warren Johnson designed Surtur to look in this. He's, he's, he's a very large... Uh, demonic looking character, right? So he was he was somehow able to still make it look very unique, very his own style, and very recognizably Surtur. So his designs, Daniel Warren Johnson's designs for this, very, very great. This is a canon series. Um, this is nothing outside of canon like Wonder Woman Dead Earth. So whatever happens at the end of this, hopefully we'll be seeing echoes, you know, reverberate across the, the Marvel Universe, if it's, you know, a big deal. Or at least the the Asgardian side of things, right? We haven't really had much happening with Thor recently. Um, it's been very ho-hum, but maybe maybe something that happens at the end of the series will affect Thor. Who knows? We'll see. In any case, there's only one more issue of Beta Ray Bill by Jenny Warren Johnson. I'm really sad this is only five issues, <laughs> but you can kind of understand, um, based on the amount of effort you can see him putting into 
every single panel. Oh my gosh. It's kind of like Peach Momoko's uh, Demon Days. It's it's very well thought out, very well designed, um, and just, just a beautiful brainchild um, of this creator. And it's Peach Momoko, while that's clearly, Demon Days is clearly entirely her creation, um, just twists on the universe and not canon, this, this Beta Ray Bill series is equally impressive for sure, I would say. Um, what, he, what he's been able to do with it has been surprising, um... And I, in the best possible way, just, I, I am so happy to be surprised by this series in the way that I have been, and I cannot recommend it enough. Um, if I, for anybody who's really into Cape comics, I feel like this is something that you can jam with. Um, you get a fun conglomeration or whatever of characters and you get, um, some, some really awesome storytelling. Danny Warren Johnson is such a unique way of doing stories and drawing stories. And it's, uh, this is so perfect. Cable number 11 by Jerry Duggan and Phil Noda. Apparently it is pronounced Jerry, not Gary. I would have guessed Gary because it's a G but whatever, what do I know? Uh, cable number 11 is the second to last issue. We're going to wrap it up with issue 12, and I am very sad about that. Um, this issue was really, really good. And every single issue of Cable has been really, really good. Um, we had at the beginning here the return of Old Man Cable. He has been resurrected through the protocols. Not sure how or, yeah, not really sure how they're they're getting away with that. Um, it's, it's, you know, they're, they're not supposed to do clones and stuff. And then he's not really a clone. He's like just a different version of, I don't know. I feel like they're stretching it to, to be able to do that when they're denying people like Madeline Pryor, their ability to get reborn, but whatever. Um, they did keep his techno organis virus in him when they, you know, rebirthed him because they knew that's what he would want. And it's a, literally the first thing he says when he comes out, you kept the virus, right? Um, and then of course he gets a very, very sweet moment to, uh, reunite with Hope, uh, Cable and Hope, the, you know, old man Cable as he was for most of history, um, in the comics, he raised Hope, um, after the whole, uh, no more mutants thing. She was the, gosh, there was the decimation event and then she was the, first like mutant baby born after that whole thing and they were like we have to protect her and then there was this hound beast thing that was hunting her um because it eats mutants or something like that and um it's very you know complex because comics reasons but anyway so he basically raised hope <laughs> and now they're finally able to reunite she obviously has been in you know contact with young cable but this is not the cable who raised her now the cable who raised her is back they had a very nice moment together i can imagine hope summer fans just loved that i she's she's fine i'm just not specifically like a big fan of hers um it was cute i'm happy for them to have gotten that moment with their character so other cool things we learned that strife well we already know that strife is planning something with these mutant babies we get to see him a little bit doing this um, he's gathered all these babies and he's got them in his circle and the, the cable, the old man cable, his theory is that Strife has made a clone of himself and put it into, I, I think it was that he put it into Krakoan society to try and like get ahead on them. And so I kind of have one theory that young cable is 
actually a clone of Strife. Strife himself is a clone of Cable. Does not have the techno-organic virus, though, so young Cable having it kind of proves that wrong. Um, but who knows? You know, there, he could have infected his clone baby with techno-organic virus and scarred up his eye to make him look like the other Cable. He's he's Strife. He's crazy. He's... Look at what he wears. <laughs> he is not a predictable person. Um... But yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this. We also had the Cuckoos. Cuckoos broke up with Young Cable, uh, which she was very sad about. There's only the one Cuckoo Esme that he, I think he actually was connecting with. Um, there's only one issue left in this. I, I am bummed about that, but I'm very excited to see how they're going to wrap this up. I really want to see Phil Noto doing something big on interiors for the X-Men because this is half the reason this series was so good was because his art is just to die for. Um, and I hope, I hope we see a lot more of that going forward. Daredevil this month or this week, I didn't realize it's actually just Mike Hawthorne on the interiors, not uh, Marco Cicchetto, who is normally doing the interiors. Uh, Mike Hawthorne did great. He He's kind of been splitting it with Cicchetto, um, but I guess this one, they gave him all of it. So really awesome issue. There is a lot of... Um, coming up to a head that I feel happening. Uh, we have Matt is in prison and is very fed up. Electra is very fed up with trying to follow Matt's rules at being Daredevil. So she stops what she's doing to just head on, find Trackdown and confront Izzy Libris um, about the hand because she is the new kingpin and she is, she's gotten the hand back into Hell's Kitchen and it's not looking great. Fisk is also fed up and trying to track down Bullseye, who um, is the most interesting part of this issue, to be completely honest. He is just his regular clinically insane self, uh, but he's on a mission to kill everyone now. No exaggeration. He wants to kill everyone because he is seeing this golden angelic figure um, and talking to it and it's encouraging him to kill. And while the, the, the face value of this would really make you think, okay, he's just crazy and he's seeing things, I can't help but wonder if this is not a factor of his insanity, uh, but rather if this is a new villain taking advantage of his insanity um, and they're going to be something that's introduced and kept as like a daredevil villain. I don't know, but I think that'd be really awesome. We get stories of insane people all the time, but I think um, I think having this be like a new villain that would be a cool twist um chip sarsky's daredevil if you are not keeping up with it has it is, i've read a fair chunk of daredevil i've read the bendis stuff i've read you know a tiny bit of the frank miller stuff i've read bits and pieces if not entire chunks of every daredevil series that's come out in the last i'd say five years if not more um so i'm, I'm fairly familiar with this 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 chip sarsky series this is my favorite Daredevil I have ever read. Um, I, there has not been a single issue of this Daredevil series that has not gotten me excited for the next issue um, and has not been a thrill to read. Um, it's, it's, it's so well done. And with the incredibly unique situation that Zarsky has got set up right now, you have two Daredevils. One is in prison. One is Elektra. You have two Mats. One is his twin who didn't exist necessarily several months ago but who has been brought into existence um who is pretending to be matt 
it's 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 really cool the situation he has going. I'm not sure what he's gonna do with it. I really don't know. Um, but I have no doubt that Elektra is gonna end up facing off with Bullseye. Um, and whoever this or whatever this angel vision that Bullseye seems to be having is. What whenever that happens, I know the arc. Um, it's got two or three more issues in the arc. And Matt Fraction, ha- or not <laughs> Matt Fraction, wow. Chip Zarsky has actually come out and said that he has a lot of plans for Elektra in the series. So hopefully even if she stops being Elektra Daredevil at that point, um, or at whatever point she stops being Elektra Daredevil, I'm hoping that we get her stick around for a good while because he's writing her super well. He definitely understands her character and I just, I want more of that. I want so much more of it. Eternals number five. I only found out probably a week ago, if not less, that Eternals is only going to be a six-issue series. Very disappointing, but a little bit understandable because this is a very complex thing that they're doing. Um, They've managed to, as they go, explain things very precisely through storytelling um, that makes you understand really well the background of the Eternals and the interconnectedness and the relationships of the Eternals without needing to know actually their entire history. I myself was not very familiar with them going into the series. Uh, Has not been an issue. Not at all. Every time a new character is introduced, they get um, exactly the amount of explanation that they need for you to understand what's going on in the scene and what their uh, methods and their what they want possibly is. So um he kind of does it, it's, it's by Kieran Gillen and Esad Rubik. Gillen kind of writes this as the same, similar way that Jonathan Hickman did the House and Powers of X, right? Where it's, uh, he had the white pages. So if you skip the white pages, it's probably not going to make sense. For Eternals, he does a very similar thing where he has black pages with blue text, uh, because this is technically like an AI sort of thing we're dealing with here whenever we go into these narration pages. Um... And that's what a uh, that, that's that's just a part of the explanation, the AI thing, and the narration and everything. It's it's super complex, but he does such a great job of explaining it, so that even if you are unfamiliar with the Eternals entirely, or if you're a longtime fan, nothing is gonna get you caught up in the series. It's gonna make a lot of sense. With a big reveal of this issue was we thought at the very beginning you're under the impression that it's actually Cersei is the one who is destroying all the Eternals and working with Thanos to do so. By the end of the issue, we find out that it is not Cersei, um, and you learn who it is at the end. Made in Korea number two. I was very impressed with the first issue of this. It was exactly the kind of thing that I needed to read that would pull me in and make me interested in it for a good while. And the second issue has done nothing but just add on to that goodness. So um, what we have is a world kind of a dystopia in a little bit, where people kind of stop being able to have kids. Um, And so to fill that void in their lives, they have started making robots that are called proxies that are robot children that people can have who would like a child but cannot have one. (laughs) So this, this robot child who was given to this particular family who are the main characters, she had something different about her that was not revealed in the first issue but we're getting we're definitely getting a look at what that is here in the second this girl is clearly very smart she's different from any of the other proxies like her she wants to learn she wants to socialize 
uh, I guess her mother, her you know, his adopted mother, works in a library, and so she was able to read almost all of the books in the local library. After that point, her parents finally agree to let her enroll in high school, which interestingly is the youngest institution of teaching for kids that's left because all the kids, you know, they're growing up. There's no more young kids coming up it behind them. So high school is the youngest generation of child of natural born children that they have. It's very interesting. Um, the young robot girl, she learns very quickly in a kind of sad sequence of events that no one likes to know it all. Um, and starts to speak up in class less and less, um, which is, is a very sad thing to see, having her kind of flame snuffed out a little bit. Eventually, there are these two older boys who kind of take a liking to her and start hanging out with her, leading up to them taking her out into the woods and showing her the gun they made uh, in some little hidden shack out there in the woods. And if I'm not mistaken, the gun shoots nails. So nothing good will come of this. <laughs> Meanwhile, the guy who made her in Korea, he ended up getting fired because he was kind of losing it, um, and he decides that he should be the one raising this proxy. So he goes to America to find the parents, tries to tell them that she's defective and he needs to take her back to the company. He doesn't work for the company anymore and can't prove that he ever did, so they basically catch on very quickly as to what's going on, and he's being just super creepy, so they send him off threaten him to call the cops, etc. He even tries to approach the little robot girl at school, but actually it's the friends who sent him away that time, and so hopefully they're not entirely bad, but, you know, it's it's two older boys and a robot girl they're, and, the, and a nail gun. Nothing good will come of that. Um, so now we know, we know that this girl is very smart. We know that she um, can process things as she goes, unlike other proxies, she, she can adjust her behavior and things as she goes, just like as she did in the school. Um, but we still aren't sure if this is the whole picture. Uh, we're not sure how far the scientist is going to go to get her back. As I keep saying, no good will come of her friendship with the boys and their guns. Um, I have no idea where this is going, but I think that it's a really cool concept and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, to whatever weirdness comes next. Monstrous number 35 was a really big issue. I'm super, super excited for the future of Monstrous. Even though there are no, um, there are no solicitations going forward with this, but clearly where it's left off, this is a hiatus. This is not the end of the series. We have a lot of questions. Um, it's just going to be a while before we find answers to that, unfortunately. And I think we only got five issues out of this before they're on another hiatus, which is disappointing. Um, but what they're bringing us is excellent quality material, so I guess I cannot be too mad they're taking their time to make it. In this issue, now the guy who I'm referring to when I say Fox Daddy, uh, that is Micah's father, okay? So Fox Daddy, Micah's father. All right, so Fox Daddy, he sends the warlords, who are those really cool, like, animal badasses who we met in a previous arc, he sends them all to go slaughter the human armies who are attacking the city that they're in, saving the day in a very violent way. <laughs> Micah has, in her new, um, her new form, whatever you might call that, she looks so, so cool. I can tell Sana Takeda had a lot of fun designing her new look in this, like, armored outfit she now has. Um, and so they're, they're in these ships flying in the air, ships like, like airplane style ships. Um, and she goes out and she, she extends, uh, Zin, who is the, like, beastie 
thing inside of her. She extends it off so that like only one little tendril of Zin is still on the ship holding her up and she's like floating in midair between them, talking to them. Really, really cool stuff. Um, but, but when she does talk to them, she's basically just calling them sheep. She doesn't really have nice things to say to them, even though they did just kind of save the day. Um, meanwhile, Fox Daddy, remember Fox Daddy, Micah's dad, got it? Okay. Fox Daddy is going to the city of Arum to find another piece of the mask. Micah was able to put herself in this really cool form that she's in now with only two pieces of the mask and there's probably four total. So he's found the third piece um, that he's he wants this for himself, right? He's not getting this for his daughter. He's getting this because he wants to be the one in charge. <laughs> um, so he ends up finding the mask piece, fighting the woman whose name I don't recall, but she was the one who was experimented on for a very long time. She did not have a face at the time. It was pretty brutal. Um, as well as the Holy Mother, he fights them both. They turn out to be both demons, which is kind of cool. The Holy Mother has three eyes, kind of like Zin's face, really freaky and cool. Um, he is actually stopped from taking that last, that third piece of the mask by Vin, who is the antlered woman who I believe is similar to what Zin is as in a demon, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, it's been a while since we've last seen her. <laughs> um, she, whatever she is, she's the same as Micah's father. They end up fighting and the mass shard, meanwhile, gets stolen away by the two demon ladies who did survive. Micah, meanwhile, is learning that Zin is actually her ancestor. He had a child, or it, can you, I guess it must be a he if he's able to have a child, with the shaman empress who is her ancestor. So we know Micah already was not fully human because on her, um, let's see, on one side of her family she had the wolf queen, and she's got her fox father, and she has um, extraterrestrial beings, apparently. These ancient gods also is part of her bloodline. So there's, it's very complicated. She's clearly very, she's something else. She's very powerful as we've seen that displayed many times. Um, but we don't really know entirely what she is. The wolf queen who went kind of crazy and she attacked in the last issue, she did survive that. She's kind of in a comatose state, but is regenerating. And then uh, the wrap up of this was, was pretty wild. Tuya, remember Tuya married her aunt um, but Tuya is kind of like a longtime old best friend and lover of Micah. Uh, what we know, uh, based on things that she said that Micah is not privy to, we know that Tuya was actually only ever friends with her because she was always supposed to be a spy. Even when they first met, Tuya was only ever a spy. Um, but Micah doesn't really know a lot of that. So th they kind of have this little moment. Tuya comes in to speak with her. They have like you know, a cute little moment together. They get undressed and start getting to it until Tuya lifts her hand to Micah's face and stabs her with her poisoned bracelet. <laughs> uh, kind of killing the mood, I guess. <laughs> Micah immediately starts getting weakened. The poison is clearly s spreading through her veins in a way that you can actually see. And I'm not sure if it's if she's dying, but Tuya's arm starts to shrivel up. It's the arm that had the bracelet on it with the poison. She tells Micah that uh, what's happening is that this will basically kill her mind. So the experiments, the dust court, Tuya's people are going to do on her won't be felt. Wow, Tuya, that's a betrayal. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Um, but it's going to be quite a minute before we see what's going to happen on the other side of this encounter. Uh, it's going to be a while. Mantras is back on hiatus. And I, I'm 
Come back soon, guys. I, I want some answers. I gotta know what happens next. Parasomnia was an indie number one that I was very excited for and I picked out and I had a lot of enjoyment reading. But to be completely honest, I have no idea what was going on. <laughs> um, we'll see if I pick up the second issue. I really like Andrea Moody's art. She does the interiors of this. She also did The Maniac of New York, if you were familiar with that one. I'm, I'm very... I, I really like her, her art style, so... Um, I may, I may pick up the second issue. I, I genuinely have no idea what was going on with this first one though. So it's kind of a toss up for when we only find them when we're dead. Number seven, you, a lot of the issue, we got the backstory of Jason, who was of course, uh, Captain Malik's like young lover at the time when Malik was alive. Um, they were also, it was Jason and his sister were the only ones who witnessed with their own eyes, I believe um, Malik in his god form, um, and you, so you get a lot of what happened between that and the current side of the plot, which is Jason as an old man living in the church of the gods. <laughs> um, it's all very sick, really, because you find out that after they were taken in to custody, because what they had done with Malik was illegal, uh, they find out that his sister, um, basically died of cancer very, very quickly. Um, you find out kind of all in one blow that his sister was in remission of cancer when we met her in the series. Didn't know that at the time. Um, and I guess when they went out there into space, she was, um, the, the radiation, uh, I guess took her out of remission again. And I, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel great about it, but it says that within hours, she, her cancer killed her again. That sounds like some seriously messed up radiation sickness. Um, I, I don't know. It just, it's why I can't, I can't see that affecting her so much more than him and him not at all. Um, you know, former cancer be damned. Like that's, it, it was just a little bit twisted. I wasn't super happy with that it was kind of how she just written off. Sorry, sister, you're dead. <laughs> Um, and that's just an alluing thing. He does that. It's a little bit toxic, but, um, anyway, <laughs> um, it was a good issue. I don't have too much to say about it because, um, it's kind of like a mid, it's kind of like a mid arc thing, but it was good. I liked it. Barbaric number one. This was surprisingly good, I will say. Um, I only read this one this morning. I was very behind on comics this week because I have a lot of stuff I'm just generally behind on in life. Um, there have been a number of really gory, hu somewhat humorous comics recently. Um, I picked a, I've, I've picked a couple of them up and a lot of them have been just, from my point of view, extremely meh. This kind of goes along the same lines of a gory, wild and, you know, barbarian comic. It's barbaric. Uh, I like this. I like this a lot. Um, where all of those other gory humor comics completely miss the mark for me, this gets it. This gets it. I will definitely be picking up number two of this, no questions asked. The art, stupendous. Um, you look at the cover and you think that's what he's going to look like as the barbarian. It's, it's, he kind of looks like that, but it's, the, the artist somehow makes him look like an actual beast. Like, if you could take what is it, Eric or something is, is the beast's name in Beauty and the Beast, what, what he looks like as, as, a, as a human and what he looks like as the beast. If you could smush those together and find the perfect midpoint, 
That is what the barbarian looks like. And it's awesome. He's got like big old gauges in his ears. Um, you can't really tell if the hair that's on his head is, is like a mane or if it's actually a beard or hair. You can't tell where the beard and the hair ends and starts. It's kind of all big one, one mass around his face. Um, it's, and it was a lot of good humor too. You get late stage capitalism jokes, which painfully relevant, kind of sad laugh, but it was hilarious. Um, you get modern format talking, which... You get it in a lot of series and it doesn't really fit, but this was, it, it was really good. It it um, had really good narration and the modern format somehow fit that really, really well. Um, it had a quick and easy backstory explanation, fairly clear plot points, um, and the end twist I really liked of um, the woman that he saves from being burned at the stake for being accused of being a witch actually is a witch. Uh, I'm excited to see, I have no doubt they're going to end up screwing down the line, but uh, her character is awesome from the get-go because she's covered in tattoos and it turns out that her tattoos are magical. They're all weapons. And so she can pull her tattoos off and have that that weapon in her hand. Uh, she used two swords and a handful of throwing knives. Really, really awesome skill. I don't know if then if she has to get it re-tattooed or if she has to put the weapon back on her. I don't know how it works, but it looked awesome and I'm super I'm super stoked to get more of her character and whatever this funky magic stuff that she can do is. Um so now they're they're partners and what makes it kind of like a twist is in the backstory explanation, two birds, one stone. You get the backstory of how he got here and you get the backstory of why he hates witches. So when it turns out that this young woman actually is a witch, he's kinda like well, shit, I hate witches, but now I gotta keep you around because you're clearly useful and I clearly need help. Um, I, I, I'm, I just loved it. It works super well. His axe can talk also. The axe gets drunk on blood uh, and tells him who to kill. Not because it's drunk on blood, but because that's the curse from the witches, which is why he hates witches, which is part of the backstory. All nice with a little bow there. Um, they made the axe. He can hear it talk and tell him who to kill. The axe gets drunk on blood. Nobody can hear it talk, so they think he's crazy. Um, but this witch can hear the, the, the touch, can hear the axe talk. So um, I hope that all made sense. I really loved Barbarian number one, or Barbaric is what it is. Barbaric number one. Definitely getting the second issue. This this was awesome. Black Widow, which I also just read this morning, was a bit. It was an experience to read because I wasn't necessarily. I'm a bit. I'm a bit um, down on this arc, possibly, is a good way to say that. I wasn't really... I, I like this series. I know I like this series. But I wasn't really excited to read this issue. Um, I don't really know. But then I, then I, you know, picked it up and read it and ended up thoroughly enjoying it. So take that how you will, I guess. Um, this series is by, of course, Kelly Thompson, Elena Casagrande, with colors by Jordi Belair. It is a dream team of creators, in my opinion. The series does still take place in San Francisco, which I love because if you are not uh, aware, I did live in San Francisco for about five years for college. Um, really, really unique place. It is the New York City of the West, or I guess it's the New York of the West Coast would be more accurate. Um, but it doesn't really get the um, 
it doesn't really get the rewards for that. People don't really talk about it that way. They like to make fun of San Francisco as being like, oh, it's hippies and stuff. Yeah, that's what makes it great. <laughs> so we have Natalie explaining to Yelena for a part of it that they're based in the Tenderloin instead of the fancy touristy parts of the city because that is where people need her, not the fancy touristy places where the cops actually, you know, care about what happens to the people there. They are sitting around uh, this little public park drinking their coffees and then Anya Corazon comes up, dresses a homeless person. Uh, she does a hilarious great job of playing the part of a angry homeless person. <laughs> Um, and they like they do their little like undercover discussion of what's what's going on because she's working for them and she's undercover right um, and then she moves along a really funny scene I, I like how um, Kelly Thompson has brought in it's something that if, if you're familiar with her other series it's something that she does with a lot of um, underused female characters is she will bring in a character that she enjoys um, and she will make you love that character just as much as you do um, so, so Lucy, moving on from that, Lucy is the girl, the young girl who uh, Natasha and Yelena have kind of put under their wing because she has these superpowers and they are very dangerous and they were given to her by this crazy dude at this company, this place called Olio, and that's why, that's why Anya Corazon is undercover for them because she's trying to figure out what's happening at Olio, um, which... You know, she kind of ends that mission in this issue because she gets she ends up having to save the new recruits from getting low key poisoned. Um, so low key, not low key, if that wasn't clear. Um, so anyway, so Lucy, who has the power, she's she stays at the web, which is their hideout with Elena and Nat. The last issue she witnessed um, one of the other superpowered people from the same place that she came from combusting. I think that's a fine enough way to say it. Um, so she there's a very dark sequence of her talking to his ashes, uh, which I don't know why they haven't cleaned that up. It's I don't is it biohazard? I don't know, but um, she she sits in the room and talks to the ash, ashes like it's him, and it's it is very grim. <laughs> uh, there is a fight sequence where you have the trapped quote unquote trapped. She's not actually trapped. Yelena. Um, being rescued by Black Widow with the Olio kidnappers. Again, Elena Casagrande with the brilliant layouts of fight scenes. She has quickly become known for her layouts of fight sequences from the very beginning, like from the first issue of the series. And I am just overjoyed to see that being a pattern that's continuing. It is now kind of known as her calling card. If you see these brilliant layouts in the fight scenes where you can actually follow the action from from panel to panel it's it's beautiful um it's genius honestly and i'm i'm so enamored by it it's so so well done elena casagrande is one of my favorite interior artists for this year for certain um the issue ends though with yelena being it's kind of sad yelena ends up getting shocked by one of the evil guys she's unconscious maybe dead doubtful that she's dead because she's on the cover of the next issue um but Natalie just lost, of course, her fake husband and child, who to her was completely real. So seeing her basically sister on the ground and unconscious is going to make her freak out. And she can, can kind of see it there. Um, she's going to get swarmed by all these remaining villains and have to take care of Yelena somehow. I'm, what I'm guessing will probably end up happening is she's probably just going to take Yelena off and make sure that Yelena is OK, because her priorities have most likely changed since that experience of having a family and and knowing what it's like to 
to have that kind of loving family around you. Um, so I, I feel like her priority is going to be to make sure Yelena's okay, and instead of taking down the Oleo Corporation or whatever they are, she's just going to try and save her friend um, and, and do that later. That's my thoughts on it. All right, so let's go ahead and get into Loki, episode four. This episode, of course, premiered on the 30th on Disney+, Plus, and I will be spoiling it, so if you haven't watched it, why are you here? <laughs> or you just don't care about spoilers, which I respect that. Um, this week's episode, I will say, better than last week's. I know I kind of had a little bit of a bitch session about a couple of things from last week's episode. It was a bit of a ho-hum one, if you if you don't mind me saying. Uh, this was definitely better than last week's. It was certainly more engaging than last week's, um, whereas last week's was kind of a, a bit of a snooze, a bit of a roundabout way, tired roundabout way of explaining or really just telling us that the TVA employees are all real people who have real past. They're all just variants who are taken in for whatever point in time for whatever reason, that was basically the one thing that we learned in the episode. This episode, we had a lot more going on. Um, and of course, there was a post credit scene, which was, without question, the best part in the whole episode. Um, and definitely kicks off a lot of, oh my god, you get speculation, you get theories, you get questions, you get um, just fun. It's just a whole lot of fun, and I'm excited for the fun that's going to come out of it. Um, this, this really is just, it's super entertaining. Um, there's nothing really heavy happening. Uh, oh my God. it depends on what's going to happen in these last two issues. She's <laughs> episodes. This is, it's going to be six episodes. You remember if Kevin, if you remember Kevin Feige, uh, the head of the MCU stuff, he, head of Marvel Studios, he said that the perfect time amount for their... Um, their MCU shows is about one is about six hours. Uh, we had that with WandaVision across nine episodes. We had that with Falcon and the Winter Soldier across six episodes. And we're supposed to be getting that again with this Loki show across the full six episodes. However, the first four episodes were under an hour long each. So some more drastically than others. So I'm kind of wondering, are we going to get much longer episodes with these last two episodes. I'm hoping yes, especially since that post credit scene, which we'll talk about in a second, gave us so much. Um, so when we get there, we'll talk about that. But this episode pretty much started off with, um, uh, what, what are we calling her? We're calling her Sylvie, right? Uh, this, the Sylvie, her childhood. Um, now there were some theories that the gold collar suit that she wears. It's the same suit that Loki wears in Thor Ragnarok. Um, there were some people who were kind of, us included, kind of toying around with the idea of that being relevant. I think at this point we know that it's not relevant because we see her wearing it as a young child here in this initial scene where her hair actually is brown um, as well. So we know that she's actually dyeing her hair blonde, which looks pretty clear, but you know, it's Hollywood. They can say whatever they want. Um, so that, that, that kind of canceled out that one theory about her suit being relevant because we see it repeated as a child. Um, we also see her as a child. She's in a very clear Asgard. Um, she, she's, she's a girl. She's, she's for kind of thought it was going to be our kid Loki. Um, and she is taken by the TVA because if I understand things correctly, she was being too good. 
and they wanted they needed a Loki who was bad. So they took her out of out of the timeline. Uh, they arrested her. She goes through the same process that Loki went through at the beginning of the show with the TVA. But then when uh, she meets up with Judge Ravona Renslayer, she is able to steal the little time jump thingy and escape. Um, and so that is the backstory of Sylvie, uh, who is our female Loki. Now, that does bring up one other question. Um, I know there was a couple of different versions of Lady Loki in the comics. Originally, and for the first several times that Lady Loki was a thing, Lady Loki was Loki inhabiting Sif's body. Um, A lot of problematic stuff about that. Uh, But also, further on in time, more recently in history, I suppose, Loki has... Okay, let me make sure I'm getting this right. Loki has gender swapped himself, and that is why he becomes Lady Loki. Uh, When Lady Loki shows up, she is normally very queer, very extra. I keep saying drag queen when I describe her because it is very much that kind of extra overdone look that she has. And that's part of why we love her, right? Um, So Lady Loki, I'm just trying to see if you can... Pick up what I'm trying to put down here. Uh, the appropriate... Now, if we're talking the appropriate comic book Lady Loki, being that version where it is Loki gender-swapped himself for the moment, because he just wants to be a girl for that time. So he is, because he can do that. Um, what Would we even see an appropriate Lady Loki then? Because this is... This is I don't think it's appropriate to refer to Sylvie after getting the backstory, the minimal backstory that we have now as Lady Loki, because she was, she's just a female Loki. Um, she's just a variant, but nothing, I don't think anything really about her, um, really could be described as Lady Loki. Um, with that in mind, is it possible that we will even get a Lady Loki because technically a proper Lady Loki would be the Loki that we see in the main character turning himself into a woman. You you get that? Like, is that even something that we would see? Would they go that way? Or would they bring her in as a different version of Loki who's done that? Or would they bring her in as always has been a woman? Um, I don't know, but I kind of, I've it's with all of these questions and the little bit of information that we've gotten on Sylvie's backstory in this episode, I feel like I have gone like into another dimension with my with my theories and questions and my desire for a lady loki to show up so some other things that happened in this episode that were really big reveals obviously lady loki not lady loki i just i just went over how we're not calling her that sylvie uh she is able to tell a few of the tva agents about their apparent being real humans with actual pasts And she's able to convince, well, we already know that she was kind of able to convince one of them when she was trapezing through her head, um, having margaritas and everything on the beach and stuff. Um, That judge apparently was, what do they call it? Deleted? Was She was taken out of service because they believed, they were saying, oh, she's insane. She thinks she had a life. She was created for the TVA. Well, now we all know that you know, we know as an audience, she wasn't created for the TVA, so we know she's not crazy. They're just trying to cover their tracks. Um, And so then we get Sylvie talks to the... 
the TVA agent who is like 18, I think, something like that. The the number, she's like number 18. Um, and she, she takes her somewhere and they stand in the rain and she gives her her memories back. Um, and so then at that point, that TVA agent, everybody thinks that she has to get taken out because she's lost her mind because she thinks she had a past. No, she did have a past. You guys are just trying to hide that. Um, so what this all basically leads up to, there's all of this kind of, uh, trying to convince TVA agents, trying to convince Mobius. Loki tries to talk to Mobius and tell him what his, you have a past, you're a real person. I still think, speaking of Mobius, I still think one of my favorite theories that I've come up with or read, um, is that all of the, uh, the people in Mobius's position, I'm, I'm forgetting what the title that he had was, but all of them are different Mobius variants. Because he's never met any of them, right? Um, and Ravona Renslayer kind of got a funny little look on her face when he mentioned that he's never met any of the other um, people in his position, right? So I just I just think that's a really cool theory. Um, so a lot of the episode is is between Sylvie and Loki trying to convince people that what they're saying about you all have past lives is true um, until finally it winds up with the two of them want, finally end up in front of the timekeepers. And the timekeepers are three beings. Um, one of them notably does look a lot like uh, Kang with his headdress. One of them looks like it's kind of an underwater creature. And I don't remember what the other one was. But this is interesting because they turn out to be robots. The timekeepers that are um, on base, I suppose, in charge, at least publicly, um, they are not real. Somebody has put them in there. And to make things more interesting, Ravona Renslayer, the judge, not at all surprised by this. She knows they're not the real timekeepers. So who made them? That's the question that we're going to spend the next two episodes, I think, pretty much tracking down is who created these fake timekeepers and who is actually in charge? Now, the obvious theory of this is going to be Kang. I'm pretty sure that's... that's on, at this point, I think if we don't see Kang... Most of the audience is going to be more disappointed than not. Um, that's that's just my theory, just because we've now had... This is the second... We didn't have so much of the speculation about Mephisto and stuff in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but, you know, everybody thought we were going to see Mephisto in WandaVision. And then it ended up we didn't. It was like, okay, fine, we can live... We can... We like this anyway. If we... This is, this is not as clearly a... You know, you can't really Mephisto this one as easily... But we pretty much know that Kang is involved with this. You have his girlfriend, or his love interest, whatever you want to call her, Ravona Renslayer, here, knowing that the timekeepers are fake, and knowing the secret, that supposedly knowing the answer to who the real version is. She is his love interest in the comics. That's, that's, they put her there for a reason. It's gotta be Kang. Um, I, I don't know how... It could possibly not be King. There is, I should also mention, there has been a teaser release for episode five. I have not watched that. I really hate watching teasers for the next episode because then I get all excited about my theories and stuff. And, and I it kind of spoils it a little bit, um, in my opinion. But apparently, as I heard on the internet, there is a scene of, um, I believe it was Mobius and a Sphinx in the background. Um, apparently the Sphinx is the time travel machine. Not This is not the Sphinx in the show. In the comics, the Sphinx would be the time travel machine that Nathaniel Richards uses to go back in time to become a pharaoh, whose name I don't recall, but then he eventually becomes Kang the Conqueror. 
So maybe we'll see Kang's backstory. I don't know. Um, and yes, he is a very, very long time in the future descendant of Reed Richards. Um, the fact that he is a black man is the actor playing Kang. I don't think it's going to be super relevant to the character because he's what purple skinned or something like that. Um, trying to picture. Yeah. He's got like purple skin. He's like Thanos. Um, so it's a little bit different, but I think that it could leave up a lot of room to make a Reed Richards, a man of color, just putting that out there. Uh, being a white man is definitely not a cornerstone of his character. So I don't think anybody should give a shit if he's anything but white. It doesn't matter. Um, but anyway, let's get to, now that I've rambled on about that uh, and Kang for, for quite a while, let's get to the end credits scene. Actually, let's not do that yet. We have to talk about how the episode ended. So they find out they're robots, right? Rensselaer is down, I think, at that point. And then uh, Loki, this was like, I, I didn't think this was a good move. <laughs> but they have Loki, like, approach Sylvie and talk like he's in love with her, which was not actually, you know, it was not the first time that had kind of been referenced in the episode, but now they were being very clear about it. He goes to kiss her. Um, and at that point, the judge Renslayer zaps him out of existence with her little zappy thing, right? Uh, which we've seen that happen to a number of variants as well as TVA agents and everything in between. We've seen that happen to um, a bunch of different people. Um, I had kind of had the theory that it was like that Doctor Who, that was it season one Doctor Who, where um, they're on that planet and there's TV stations and they're playing the game and she gets zapped, but then she wakes up in another room. I kind of had a theory it was like that, but there wasn't really any reason to care at that point. So I didn't say anything about it, which of course now it just makes it sound like I'm giving myself more credit than is due. Oh, well, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it does turn out. I was, I was kind of right about that. If, if we're going with me having had the theory and they do get zapped and sent somewhere else, who the hell is to say where, but for this particular Loki variant, he wakes up in New York destroyed New York. You know it's New York because Avengers Tower is in the back right of the screen. In front of him, waking him up as he has come to arrive in this place, there are four other Lokis. You ready for this? You get Thorki. You get, okay, Thorki is Loki and Thor combined. You get Kid Loki. You get Croc Loki, Crocodile Loki, and you get Oh god, I think I guess classic Loki is how we'd say this, with the big big horns and the lame ass suit and the old man wrinkly face. That was Loki in the comics for a very long time until somebody decided, you know what? Tom Hiddleston's kind of hot. Actually, actually what came first? Was it Tom Hiddleston or was it younger? I think it was younger Loki. I think younger Loki came first and then they based that off of Tom Hiddleston off of that, right? Um, so for, for a very long time in the comics, Loki was this creepy old man with this like greasy, thin little ponytail hanging out the back of his, his helmet. Um, and it is a helmet that his horns are on. It's not a crown. It's a helmet. Um, he looks like, he looks like a bad cosplayer, which is honestly the best take on this creepy old man Loki character. And it's not old man Loki. It's just classic Loki. Um, so let's talk about these characters for a while. Now, the Thorki... My husband and I talked about this. We think that this is basically Loki raised as Thor. And he is a black man and he is very, very Norse looking in his outfit. And he's holding a very large hammer, which, you know, we can presume is 
his version of Mjolnir, whether or not it has the enchantment on it or whether or not it is the reality that he came from. Mjolnir, who knows? It's just the hammer that he uses. Now, if you're interested in where his character comes from, I have a comic in front of you that you might like. It is What If number 47. It's called What If Loki Had Found the Hammer of Thor. The cover is amazingly by Bill Sienkiewicz. Um, I haven't read it myself, but this was something my husband and I bought from a comic shop for all of a dollar. I am not even joking. We bought this for a dollar um, three months ago, something like that. I think I think it was May, so not even three months ago. Um, this thing is going for a lot of money now. <laughs> So that's pretty cool. I'm going to post that on my Instagram later today. If you're curious to see what any of that is, I'll post some of the interior as well because I haven't read it myself, but I'm going to before I post about it. Um, but anyway, that is, if you're curious about the Thor key version of Loki, there you go. Kid Loki is a much more modern creation. I believe it was created by Kieran Gillen in the, um, was it Journey into Mystery series? That was I some sometime in the 2000s. Um, Crocodile Loki, I can't really tell you if that's a thing that's appeared in the comics. Um, you know, it's, it's most likely <laughs> the comics have had a lot of different versions of Loki. We've seen, um, there, there are some theories I should also add. There are some theories that, um, this Thorky is potentially, um, like a Frost Loki. I don't think that's accurate because we kind of saw the Frost Loki already, um, but there's, there's just like, it's like the Spider-Verse. You have uncountable amounts of these characters, different versions. Um, so let's talk about what this all means. There's a couple different things that you can theorize here with Loki having woken up in this world. This could be when you are zotted with the little sticky thing. You are sent to a random reality. And it just so happens that all of the other versions of you who have also been zotted are also sent to that same reality. Um, so you just wind up with a reality where all of the bad, Lo all the variant Lokis got sent there. Um, these could also be Lokis who have conquered this reality because they're just out and about doing things and they're Loki, so that's what they decided to do. Um, this could be a reality that just has a large mass of Lokis. I don't know. I think the most likely thing is that they were all different versions of variants of Loki that they had that the TVA had zotted and they all wound up in the same reality and ended up kind of destroying it together. That's, that's my current theory. My most likely theory right now. Um, on that note, <laughs> we're going to do this again. Is it possible that Lady Loki is in that reality? The proper Lady Loki? Um, I, I think it might be possible. I would love it. <laughs> Uh, before we wrap up the Loki the Loki episode discussion, I did forget to mention the the punishment that they had kind of given him. Um, I guess instead of zodding them, they if they want to get some information out of the variant, they put them in basically their personal hell, um, which for Loki was the night that he cut Sif's hair. This is this is something that's very interesting because um, Sif. It was something that was added into their mythology some time after they'd been around as characters. I'm not sure what era it was, but there's a story out there that Sif, though we've always known her with dark hair, was born blonde. And the reason that her hair is dark is because 
Loki cut it and put some ink on it and it permanently stayed that way. So it's kind of interesting. Loki's personal hell is the night that he cuts Sif's hair and she comes running into the room pissed off. And yes, this is Jamie Alexander as Sif, boys and girls. Welcome back, Ms. Alexander. It has been a long time since we've saw you in this role and I am happy to have you return. Um, apparently she's also going to be in Love and Thunder, which I only just learned the other day, and I am super thrilled for because, like, you had the perfect Sif, and you just kind of didn't use her for, like, several movies. What? Okay. Yeah, you had, like, low-key A-Force, and you didn't put Sif in there? Come on, guys. Um, <clears throat> anyway... I don't think it's too much of a stretch to imagine that this Sif who is bringing Loki angrily her hair and accusing him of having cut it used to be blonde. And that is the evening that he did that to her hair and that was that change. I, it could not, it, it might not matter. It might never get brought up and we may never find out. Um, but I think it's, it's very, it's a very valid theory, I think. Um, so coming up in Loki, we have the next episode. Episode five is coming out July 7th is next Wednesday. Black Widow is coming out on July 9th, which is next Friday. It's a week from today. It's going to be a great, great nerdy week coming up. We have, uh, Revenge of the Fifth. Well, tonight we have the Bad Bash, right? And we have Revenge of the Fifth on Monday, which is really do whatever you want. It's a fake Star Wars day. And then on Wednesday, you have Comic Book Day, as well as... Loki, and then on Friday you have Black Widow. What a what a lineup for the week! What a lineup. Um, I'm I'm definitely feeling a lot better about this episode of Loki than I was about the last, which, like I said, was just revolving around this convoluted way to just tell us one one thing. It's all it was. Um, so this is this is going a lot better. That I'm I'm definitely hoping that this uptick continues for the last two episodes, especially since we have so many different variant Lokis now, and that's kind of opened up the ballpark for all the variant Lokis that there could possibly be. Um, with that in mind, this is probably going to be really really killer last two episodes. I'm hoping that we're going to see a proper Lady Loki. I'm hoping that we're going to see some really funky stuff. We're going to laugh a lot. Um, and we're obviously going to see Kang. I think if we don't see Kang at this point, it's, I think everybody is just going to be disappointed. But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed this episode. Really happy that it's so, it's gotten so much better. I'm excited for it, it uh, being kind of like the, the midweek kickoff of Nerd Week this coming week. Now, this is going to be a bit of a longer episode because I still have some things to go over here. Starting off with Superman and Lois. This is very brief. Uh, we are not discussing a Superman and Lois episode from this week because it is on hiatus again until mid-July. I believe it is episode 12 is what we were supposed to be getting this week. I'm um, not sure why the hiatus is happening. I couldn't really be bothered to care that much. Might have to do something with Supergirl wrapping up as well. I don't know. But uh, we will be back to discuss whatever good or badness may be happening in Superman and Lois uh, mid-month, so it'll be here if you are. Black Widow has come out in the premiere. We will be watching that next Friday at the earliest on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I will not be going to, we're going to make it a night. We're going to have dessert. We're going to have Thai food. It's going to be awesome. We're going to watch Black Widow and then The Bad Batch because, like, it's, ah, yes. Um, for the most part, it seems that reactions are fairly positive. I do have to note, though, do not go searching for reviews of Black Widow. Um, there were several, several professional reviews 
um, from magazines and newspapers and things, online articles, that full-on blow the load of the movie in their review with no warning. So I have not done a whole lot of research on the reactions. I see that they are mostly positive, um, as to be expected, but I can't really tell you more than that because it's just... It's too dangerous to be looking through these reviews. There's too many spoilers out there. And after getting uh, X-Factor number 10 spoiled so badly this week, I, I really don't want to get Black Widow spoiled too. Now let's talk about the trial of Magneto. We're wrapping up here. We only have the Spider-Man 3 leaks after this. But for now, we're going to talk trial of Magneto. As I said when I discussed X-Factor number 10, this is going from X-Factor number 10 forward. With the events of spoilers for X-Factor number 10, Scarlet Witch being found dead on Krakoa. She was not supposed to be on Krakoa, as far as I know, is not welcome, and I think she's still seen as the daughter of Magneto in canon? Who the hell knows, honestly? I don't... I don't. <laughs> I know I love to research things, but that... The, the whole Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, like... What are they? Who are they? Who's their daddy? Like, I... That gives me such a headache just to think about. Um... I, I have such a hard time keeping up with it. So this Trial of Magneto is going to be at least two issues in August and September um, by Leah Williams and Lucas Wernick. What a, what a fantastic team. Lucas Wernick was at the end of this X-Factor number 10. If you uh, are familiar with that art, it's, it is, oh gosh, I love his interiors more than I love his covers. Same with Phil Noto, uh, because it just adds such an element of magic to the mutant to the mutant world. Magic and beauty. Um, I do have the solicitations for the first two issues here. I don't know if there's going to be a third, but if there was to be a third, I think in September we're supposed to be having Inferno start as well, correct? Um, so possibly this will tie into Inferno. Now, like I said earlier, also... Scarlet Witch is not dead for good. Do not worry if you're a Wanda Stan. She is not going to be gone from the comics forever. Uh, they don't really do that, <laughs> period, ever. Um, so she'll be back. I'm I'm not really sure if she is resurrectable, but they will apparently not be resurrecting her uh, based on the issue two solicitation of a memorial happening. If she was just resurrected, they wouldn't need a memorial. Um, so I'm curious about that explanation for her not being able to be resurrected. I imagine it's going to have to do with the pretender thing and the whole... You know, you you kind of destroyed the mutant race by taking away all our powers when you were mad one time. So, you know, screw you. Um, and it also could have to do with my unfamiliarity with where exactly they are right now in what's canon with who and what they are and who's their daddy. Uh, so the first solicitation says, The story that will shake Krakoa to its core. A horrific murder, a shocking revelation. A trial that will divide the new mutant nation. Leia Williams and Lucas Wernick bring you an epic that threatens to... That threatens the reign of X and will upend the world of mutants. The truth is hidden, the danger is far from over, and the trial has begun. Now this is called the trial of Magneto. I don't think Magneto killed Scarlet Witch. I do think that he is, is going to be pinned on him and is definitely going to look like him for probably a long time. It was not Magneto. I can almost guarantee you that. Um, may have been... Um, um, oh my gosh. Rogue. No, not Rogue. Um, Rogue's mom. Destiny's wife. Wow. This is a this is, this is is me blinking. Mystique. There we go. <laughs> that was bad. Um, speaking of Mystique and Scarlet Witch, 
I feel like I should mention this here. If you're a fan of Art Germ or if you're a fan of Pretty Pictures, um, Art Germ is doing a cover for X-Men Inferno this fall, which is Mystique. Um, and then he is also doing a cover for The Trial of Magneto Number 1, which is Scarlet Witch. So if you remember me saying a few months ago that I had seen the teaser for that and I thought that it was something involving her being called The Pretender, I wasn't right, but it's going to have to do with her being known as a pretender. So, you know, I was, I, I'll take the credit. <laughs> Let's go ahead and wrap up this extra long episode and talk about the Spider-Man 3 leaks that have happened over the past couple of days and the somewhat releases that have come due to that. Um, specifically yesterday, somehow the Spider-Man costume for Spider-Man 3 leaked. It is the Iron Spider costume, pretty much. It is like, um, it's just, it's the, it's the red and blue and gold Iron Spider costume he kind of had before, Iron Man Jr. Um, they also, this morning, I'm, I'm assuming due to that leak in particular, put out the photographer, the, what do you want to say, the marketing for the Pops at least one of the pops is Spider-Man and he's got like a Doctor Strange universe hopping thing in his hand. Oh my god. I... <laughs> the more I hear about this movie, the less I want to see it. <laughs> um, I am I am 100% of the mindset that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire have no place in the MCU. <laughs> You tried that, Marvel. You tried that and it didn't work. Did you not remember? Um, it feels a lot like all the rumors of those guys actually being in this stuff and everything that's kind of pointing in that direction. It feels a lot like uh, Zack Snyder's getting his fans to kind of like hop on to Warner Brothers, not hop on, but like get on Warner Brothers back and basically beat the Snyder Cut out of them. Um, it feels a lot like that. Like we have this let's be honest, we have this toxic sect of the fan base who believes that the Tobey Maguire movies will never be beat. Um, and they think that, you know, the Tom Holland stuff is trash and blah, blah, blah. And you're low key pandering to them, Marvel, by putting him in. If that's what's happening, you are pandering to them. We know that's no good will come of that because they did that for DC for the Snyder cut. And now what happened? Are they quiet now? No, they are going on more and more now that they want the Batfleck movie. I just, <laughs> You can't, there is a reason that they do not, what is the, what is the term? We do not, we do not work with terrorists. We do not, uh, we're, yeah, it's like you don't give terrorists what they want because then they're just going to keep making it worse and worse. Just the, the various leaks of this basically just make it seem that this is going to be Tom Holland as Iron Man Jr. hopping from universe to universe. And I don't like that concept very much. Um, I just, I don't have too much positive to say about that. I'm trying to think of something. We know that Ned Leeds is most likely going to turn into uh, the Goblin, Hobgoblin, right? Uh, they've teased that a little bit. Um, so I, I, that part I'd be excited for too. I would be, I would look forward to that. Um, and obviously, you know, Spider-Man's been outed as being Peter Parker, and he's like looking, he's going to be under arrest or whatever, but. Don't give terrorists what they want. <laughs> um, I just, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, as, as I said, those movies had their chances. They did not go well. 
No one particularly liked them. Why are we looking back on their existence as like, they were so great. They weren't though. They weren't. <laughs> Parts of them were sure, you know, some more than others, but uh, Spider-Man 3, just as a whole, I'm, I'm becoming less and less excited for. Um, and it was very sad this morning to see my husband say the same thing when he is like the sweatiest of Spider-Man sweaties. First comics he ever read were Spider-Man. Well, Thor and Spider-Man. Like, Peter Parker is his bro. Like, it's... It's, <laughs> it's, it's sad. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what it happens. You know, I, I, like I said, whenever I have these bad hunches, I love to be proved wrong. Even when I have speculation and theories and things, I love to be proved wrong because that means that you guys had a better twist than I could come up with. And that's great. That wraps up this week's episode, this week's Friday episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Thank you for sticking around and listening to the episode for whatever amount of time that you did. I did my plugging of my socials at the beginning of the episode, um, and I'll, I, I guess I'll do it a little bit at the end here. I do plan on setting up a Patreon if you feel like this podcast is worth any amount of money for your time and the effort that gets put into it or the enjoyment that gets out of it. Um, you can put any, you know, a dollar a month, three dollars a month, um, in the words of, uh, the guy from Word Balloon, if you feel like it's worth the cost of a comic for your enjoyment out of it each month, you know, you can do it for a $5 thing. I'll, I'll probably put it up to $20 just because, you know, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I have more people watching this than I think, uh, listening to this than I think, but, uh, no, there's no pressure on that. I'm not going to be asking people to do that over and over again. It's just, it's there if you want to do it. Um, I would appreciate anything from it so that I can spend more time on this and less on worrying about other money-making things like jobs and whatever, um, and therefore can can put out the best possible podcast that I can. The next episode is going to be on Monday, the 5th of July. I had to think. <laughs> That's sad. I had to think. The 5th of July, Empire Day to some. I think I'll go with that because it sounds fun. Uh, we will be discussing on Monday the comic book pull list for that coming pick that coming comic book new comic book day. We will also be discussing anything that happens between kind of now and then in terms of geek media news or speculation. And of course, I will be discussing the Bad Batch episode that is today on Disney Plus. So be sure. I think it's episode ten. I could be wrong, but either way, be sure to check that out. I've been enjoying the crap out of it, and I hope that you do too. Uh, I will be back, like I said, Monday the 5th. Until then, have an excellent... What do we call the 4th of July now? What's the SJW's for... Uh, colony colonizer day? No, that wouldn't be it. Have, have a nice 4th. Let's just... It's just another cookout day. It's an excuse to get drunk and cook out. So, have a great 4th. Um, don't ruin it for other people, however they decide to do it. Uh, and keep your expectations in check, but do get sweaty about comics. 